Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the first Eurogamer Weekly, a new show in which we recap the week that was for your convenience. I'm Bertie, your host, a writer for Eurogamer, and I'll be joined every Friday by other members of the team, and occasionally some of our lovely friends, as we whisk through reviews, features, news, and videos we've published on the site this week. How handy. Uh, check the description below for links if you want to read more. Today, I'm joined by Eurogamer Editor-in-Chief, Martin Robinson, and Reviews Editor, Chris Tapsell. Hello. All right, how's Hello. it going? How are you both? Good. Yeah, very good. It's nice to be here. Likewise, excited. Now, Martin, straight off the bat, let's talk about the big news this week, um, which is the relaunch of the Eurogamer supporter program, partly because Eurogamer Weekly is a part of it. Yeah, it's um, we kind of took the chance six months into our support program to um, retool it a little bit, uh, change it up and offer a little bit more. Um, headed up by a free game giveaway with Castlevania Advance, uh, not Advance Collection, wrong one, Anniversary Collection, um, the, the better one. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> that's cool. Hopefully people are enjoying that. Uh, we've got the newsletter, which is coming out today as well, and, uh, and this as well, the Eurogamer Weekly. Fantastic. So, and yeah. the other things that we um, already do, like the Eurogamer podcast hosted by mm -hmm. me, yay, uh, that's still continuing. We're just taking a chance to refresh it, tweak it, tune it. Okay, on to the recap. So, News first. The biggest news this week, obviously, that we relaunched uh, the support program on the Euro huge the, the headline. I saw, yeah, the, I, it was it was all over the place. The, the, I saw Kotaku's headlines on it, all the op-eds on it. It was incredible. It was the biggest yeah. news of the week by far. Nothing Viral. close. Yeah. Um, but the real biggest big news of the week is that Square Enix has sold off its Western Studios and more than fifty intellectual properties to Embracer Group for only $300 million, which seems cheap. This means that Embracer owns studios such as Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal, and IPs including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane. No one cares about that one. Um, no, there is a new Tomb Raider um, already in development, uh, but this is exciting, question mark. It raises quite a lot of interesting questions about the future. I guess I think it's just I think the the main thing is just how Nerf Square let that go let those IPs go for that much that little money even considering the the, the fees you see um, bandied around for lesser IP I guess because Tomb Raider is like one of the most recognisable things um, series in the world but ultimately I think it is probably good news because um, I don't think the the partnership never seemed to come together uh, like Square Enix and IDOS basically always mm. felt like two separate things and there was always friction there. Um, and yeah, not that the not that the modern trilogy was modern two man trilogy was bad, but as evidenced by Donlan's piece um, on the uh, other crystal the Crystal Dynamics trilogy before the Square buyout, um, Underworld Legend and Anniversary. Yeah, uh, it was it was a beautiful piece he wrote on it, and um, I I and I think you see in the comments as well that a lot of people see that as a. Not, maybe not high watermark of the series because obviously the iconic original trilogy is um, when the series was at its most kind of groundbreaking. But 
I almost think it's like they kind of found the ideal Tomb Raiders with those with that trilogy. Um, it was a, it was a bit more fun, a lot less po-faced, and just a lot more Tomb Raider, I guess, from what we saw from what we saw subsequently. So, I ultimately think it should be good news because of um, it. Hopefully, means that they can be back on track a little bit. I guess if we can get back to that kind of the kind of stuff we saw from uh, from the series before the Square takeover, then it should be good. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> In short, I agree. <laughs> There's always a chance, isn't there, when things like this happen, that um, the new owner goes through the catalogue then and starts to maybe look at some of the dormant series and bring those back to life or um, re-inject some money somewhere. And it, it's quite exciting, or albeit kind of tentative excitement because you don't want them necessarily to change something you like. But it could mean we, we see some things we haven't seen for a while, I suppose. Yeah, and it's just... Uh... It's just, it's just Square Enix just seem, it's just, I think it's just, they don't seem to have their heads quite screwed on, right, basically. And so uh, I think it's just a, hopefully an opportunity for those IPs to actually go somewhere because they seem to, they never seem to know what quite what to do with them. And obviously every time they released a game, it would be um, like a matter of weeks until the head of Square would be like, These, this, the sales of this disappointed us. It's like, what were your expectations? Must have been so out of whack. Um, even Crazier, obviously, the Square seems to be hell-bent on Moving towards NFTs and live service games, and with a tr- proven track record of doing doing it terribly with like Babylon's Fall, which we never we didn't even touch that, did we? Because it just looked like a stinker. Basically, <laughs> I think it just wasn't it wasn't even worth the time. It was on those where <laughs> we had to just leave it. Um, yeah, it's not. I, I think it's good for most parties that these studios and IPs are no longer under the management of Square. Yeah, there was um friend friend of the site uh, and um uh, Nathan Brown, his hit points column earlier this week as well, um said it's kind of might be one of those actual rare acquisition things which is a, a win win, like all parties do well out of it basically. Yeah. And there's often is... I think oh, well there's there's often some murmurs of things like layoffs with the sort of intermediary staff who look after stuff at Square with this, which obviously is always a you know, a more sobering thing you have to bear in mind, but hopefully that is as minimal as possible with this sort of thing. Um, and aside from that, it does seem like a wins all round, doesn't it, really? Yeah, actually, that's a good point to make, actually, because it is really easy to be like, oh my God, Tomb Raider's going to be great again, but this has had a very real impact to the people who work in that, um, in the in offices not far from here, in the, in Blackfriars. Um, and yeah, thoughts with them at what is, I'm sure, a really turbulent and uncertain time. So I hope, I hope it's all as well as, uh, as well as can be over there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on. It was Star Wars Day, May the 4th, um, which kind of aggravates me every year. Um, but it did mean there was a new trailer for the Obi-Wan series coming to Disney+, Plus, which I watched and looked good. It's not game-related, this update. Mate, this isn't Polygon. Come on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Um, this weekend, it's the narrative game festival Ludo Narracon. That's on Steam. Look out for that. There'll be loads of demos and sales for for narrative games, uh, plus a whole bunch of panels uh, for some really cool people um, that you can watch also uh, through Steam. That runs from now until 9th of May. Um, The new Xbox Games Pass um, games for this month, May, uh, were announced. They are Loot River, which we'll have a review of uh, today when you're listening to this. Uh, Christian Donnan is playing that right now. Uh, Trek to Yomi, which we'll have a review of next week, I believe, Chris. Yeah, depending on... Uh, access and that sort of thing but yeah that's the plan <laughs> uh, and Citizen Sleeper uh, which uh, Chris has just reviewed himself and we'll talk about um, in detail in a moment um, also in news this week Reggie Fizame 
I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it. Fils-Aimé. Fils-Aimé. No, that's, um, that's a good crack at it. The, the former boss of Nintendo of America popped up seemingly everywhere this week because he's got a new memoir um, out called Disrupting the Game. Uh, so pre- uh, presumably he's promoting that. My favorite thing that he popped up in, though, was that him saying that he wasn't a fan of the Game Boy Micro. He apparently uh, called it a non-starter internally, which is harsh. Do you, Taps, do you remember the Game Boy Micro? <laughs> no. Is it bad if I say no? I do. I like. I had. I had a Game Boy. Like that was my. I guess my first console on paper, right? But I was, you know, three or something. So um, <laughs> I don't. Thanks. I'm afraid that's like the only one that I never had actually, Nintendo console wise. So no, the Game Boy Micro was the one. That I think it's um, me and Don and uh, specifically were really offended by it because I think. Um, <laughs> Flat white sipping hipster idiots uh, who ride around their unicycles, and uh, yeah, before the, before the before the play date came along, we used to enjoy playing our Game Boy Micros because um, it was. I do sort of agree with him that it was an odd proposition. Just basically, it was because it came towards the end of the Game Boy Advance's life cycle, and I guess it was just a like, kind of a, a shot in the arm for it. But um, it is almost hilariously tiny uh, and almost unusable with the size of the screen in it. But having said that, I, I love mine. I say I love mine. I lent it to, I just realized I lent it to a friend who's now moved up to Leeds. And now I need to get it back off him because I had the really good Famicom one. I like, I played for all of Final Fantasy VI on um, on my Game Boy Micro. And it's the, only t- it's the only way I've ever played Final Fantasy VI, which is one of my favorite Final Fantasy games. So it can't like it can't be all bad that I played this absolutely epic like sixty hour RPG on like basically what is effectively <laughs> like a key ring, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Reggie was everywhere this week, wasn't he? Understandably, because the guy's a salesman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he had some interesting things to say. There was one of the um, IGN had a really good uh, expose on kind of the working conditions at Nintendo, mm. and Reggie distanced himself from them, saying that's not the company I left, which was um, slightly disingenuous, I think. Yeah, there was there was some stories disputing on that, weren't there? Yeah, I think Kotaku had a piece on that where they disputed it. Yeah, I I, I don't yeah. I don't think these problems uh, that Cat uh, Bailey did a, a wonderful job exposing and IGN, uh, I don't think they're new, basically. So I thought it was slightly odd of Reggie to be like, yeah, nothing I knew about. <laughs> Having said that, oh, I haven't read Reggie. Yeah, sorry. I haven't read the book, but um, I should do. I'm sure there's some really cool stuff in there. Okay. Um, I wanted to give a quick shout out to um, Destiny developer Bungie for taking a public stand um, in defense of the legalized uh, of legalized abortion in America, which is under threat, of course, following leaked plans to overturn the Roe versus Wade uh, judgment. Uh, and Bungie called this uh, a direct attack on human rights. And it was great to see um, a developer as, you know, as public facing, as famous as, as Bungie to come out and do that. Um, that's it, more or less, for the news. Blizzard announced a new Warcraft mobile game, mobile game called Arclight Rumble, uh, a free-to-play tower offense game. Um, but in the background, of course, um, lawsuits continue. Uh, so it's kind of overshadowed by that. Um, in Features Land this week, we had uh, Chris Donnan talking about uh, Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raider's game, uh, Tomb Raider's games, uh, the trilogy, which we talked a bit about. We had Digital Foundry taking on... Um, I'm struggling to understand this. The variable refresh rate update that's finally come to PlayStation 5, something that's on PC and Xbox already and sorts out judder and screen tearing. Um, And the verdict, useful, but has some quirks. Could be better, basically. Um, Also in features this week, we had this wonderful article from Tom Phillips about the joy of a game called Toads. Now, this isn't a video game, but this is a game that you'd find in 
pubs specifically, pubs in an area of, um, I think it's East Sussex, um, called Lewis, um, where they have this, it's like a coin tossing game, um, which Tom kind of accidentally slash on purpose found himself in the world championships for the world championships being basically in Sussex from teams in Sussex. Uh, but it's this wonderful article of him, uh, experiential article of him getting into the scene. He's been, he's been, he's been researching hard for that as in he's been down the pub a lot. <laughs> okay, like practicing <laughs> for this. But are you, uh, both of you, I guess, cause I'm, I'm London based, but both of you are more familiar with Lewis than I am. It's an interesting place. Yeah, Lewis is like sort of uh, a very concentrated area of weird British traditionalist sort of folklore activities. And that's just Tom playing Pokemon Go. I feel bad that you haven't got yeah. to defend himself on this. <laughs> yeah. So Lewis is the place that hosts these awesome bonfire night um, yeah. displays um, each year where hundreds of thousands of people come from um, around Sussex and, and beyond to come and see these like these effigies of like Boris Johnson and stuff getting burnt and then these incredible fireworks displays like the whole they have bonfire societies in this place it's like they spend the whole year planning for it it's um it, it's a bit They're of a like the Illuminati itself. Things as well. um, yeah so it, it's kind of perfectly in keeping that they have their own pub game although apparently challengers yeah. from Brighton are now uh roughing up the scene not roughing up outsiders outsiders yeah yeah um they call them um what is it ofbs over from brighton's in lewis do they lewis <laughs> Lu- lewisians have uh like nicknames for people who move to lewis from other parts of the south because they see them as outsiders and you have to basically be there for you know like a decade for or th- maybe even then they won't consider you to be a, a local so they have DFLs down from London's <laughs> and OFBs over from Brighton's. Because, of course, you played for Lewis Football Club. <laughs> Only they're under 18s, yeah. Um, but yeah, look, like, I love Lewis. The club is like 130 years old or something like that. It's right next to a park um, where a lot of Lewis people play Pokemon Go that is by um, a castle, like the ruins of a castle. And then, um, like, quite a ma- one of the major castles of like the southeast, I think, as well. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> And then they have all these weird traditions over bonfire night, like you said, where to get into the society you have to um sort of be invited. It's a bit like the the Freemasons. <laughs> um and uh and it, they're hardcore rivalry, so if you've ever been in one, you can't join the other one and that sort of thing. Um someone loses a finger every year at the bonfire night. Um, is that fireworks and that sort of thing? Is that by by design, basically? Yeah, exactly. It's just like you must give up. You must give up this finger to this effigy of Nigel Farage having a dump. Maybe, maybe, maybe maybe that is it. Maybe that's how you join the society, and they they say it's an accident every year. Uh, But yeah, fun place, Lewis. Lovely beer as well. Harvey's local brewery and and beak and beak as well, which is a craft beer place, which is right by Tom's, which is fantastic. If you don't mind paying eight pounds, eight pounds for a can of beer. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to take a quick look at video this week, um, we had Ian looking at Wolf a mod of um, Wolfenstein 2 to make it playable in VR, which um, seems great. There's an official um, VR version in the works, but Ian's very keen on the mod. We also had Ian playing Elden Ring upside down for some. Yeah, reason. this is part of Ian's continuing Elden Ring series, which he just finds ways to play Elden Ring in the most horrendous way possible, either in yeah with weird VR mods or upside down or using weird restrictions. It's been it's, it's been really entertaining to see. 
Um, we also had um, Zoe putting her law hat on um, and doing a deep dive um, on Elden Ring law. And we had Aoife trying out the Evil Within. And you're like, hang on, but that's an old game. Playing it on PS5. Um, so that's a quick, quick look at video. And now on to reviews. Um, we had... Uh, Switch Sports, uh, with, reviewed by Christian Donnan, who's not here today. But Martin, I understand you've played it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I'm, obviously, I've played it. It's the first party Nintendo game. So I was like downloading it straight away uh, when it came out um, and played it over the weekend. It's, um, I've not had enough chance to play the online stuff as much as I'd have liked, but um, I'm hoping to spend more time with it this weekend. But it's a really good, um, obviously, modernization of Wii Sports. But the, on, the, uh, the, the interesting thing about it, which I didn't get... Um, uh, until kind of Donden's preview, then review. So it's really online focused, but it's one of those very Nintendo online games. So online experience is like nothing you'd see in any other uh, video game, for better and for worse. Um, so I kind of want to spend more time with it because if I'm one of these people who obviously defends Nintendo, uh, it's one of my um, yeah, it's one of my downfalls. <laughs> it just would defend anything from them. Um, but. I, I, I typically love their online stuff, like Splatoon um, was wonderful. Obviously, it all goes back to the Miiverse when Nintendo basically fixed the internet briefly and offered <laughs> this amazing, this amazing uh, like weird little, their own version of the internet, which obviously they killed off soon after. But it's got all these kind of weird quirks in it, which push you towards more social play, which I always really like, because obviously online gaming, you tend to associate with hostility and competition and people just calling you awful names but nintendo always try and push you towards this kind of more playful space online in these often really fascinating clever ways um and i, I believe that's kind of part of the switch sports experience which is really cool um yeah absolutely i heard sorry to cut you off Bertie, i heard um some things about the volleyball in that apparently it is absolutely vicious like it's the one that brings out <laughs> especially reading Donnan's review that it brings out the most sort of brutal competitive edge although because you're in like the sort of siloed online thing that never leaks across to other players but I can't imagine Donnan ever yelling at a TV screen oh, yet, apparently he was side Donnan would have come out I'm sure <laughs> so that's a recommended uh, for Switch Sports we also had a recommended for Warhammer 40k Chaos Gate Demon Hunters which is like three names um, in one, and that's from the poetic um, Edwin. Um, yep. And we have. It's, it's, it's a good Warhammer game, isn't it? It's taps. Do you probably know a bit more about it? Because Warhammer games, there's yeah, quite a I've, few of them, but this is this one played, stands out. <laughs> yeah, I played this for, for previews. I played a bit of it. Right. And one of the main things that I asked the um, the developers about was how how do you make a Warhammer tactics game stand out? Because there are quite a few of them, fewer than I thought. In my head, every Warhammer game is like an XCOM ripoff. Um, well, actually, some of them aren't. Some of them are like <laughs> Civilization ripoffs. Or <laughs> else. Um, but um, but it is genuinely really good, and it does stand out um, in part because of just how uh, how full blooded the 40k universe is, um, and it sounds like they just really really lean into it with the game, which I love. Um, You've got Andy Circus in it, sort of hamming it up, which I think oh, wow. is always what you want. Um, Edwin had an amazing turn of phrase for him, but I can't remember Tricks what it was. But little space basically, the comes in and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure. I'm not sure it's playing Gotham in it, but it would work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I hear it's actually fantastic, which is really good. I was. You know, after the preview, sort of cautiously optimistic because it was a little bit janky is the wrong word, but it but it's very double A, 
Um, and so being sort of a month out from release, you're like, oh, I hope this all kind of like congeals and comes together. Um, but it sounds like it really has. And it sounds like the stuff in between the the tactical bits are really fun as well. Like the, the actual um, cutscenes and that sort of thing are apparently quite funny. There's some weird banter with people sort of arguing with each other about things and you get told off if you, I don't know, <laughs> save the wrong planet or something like that or waste waste uh, uh, too much resources on something and you get sort of a chastising oh, from how Andy you? Circus every now and then. Appropriately. <laughs> um, that's made yeah. me really want to play it. Um, talking of double A, I reviewed a game called King Arthur Knight's Tale uh, this week by Neocore Games, um, which is the developer who bought you Van Helsing and, in the past, um, other King Arthur games. Um, this is another turn-based strategy game mixed with RPG, and it's got some really nice kind of RPG stuff around it. It's just the turn-based combat takes a while to get interesting. Uh, basically, it's a bit slow and a bit trudgy for a long time until you start unlocking some more abilities and the enemies start unlocking some more abilities and there's more going on in the battles then it starts to get a bit more tactical um it's not bad my advice is if you're playing it turn the difficulty up to start with so that you're forced to kind of use more strategy uh, from the off otherwise it's a bit repetitive and becomes a bit of a slog it's like um, shame that it's. I think it's, Sorry, it's relevant to kind of what because um to Citizen Sleep as well, which I'm sure we're going to move on to in a second. But like um, games are too slow to to start now. I think it sounds it's such a problem. And I, I think I said in one of our meetings earlier this week. It's like games are just too prog at the moment. Like we haven't had a, we missed the kind of <laughs> yeah. I missed the snappy intros that kind of to get your attention rather than a game that's just trying to drag everything out for forty hours. Um, and there was that really interesting because obviously Sony kind of had that um mandate recently about the two hour demos of uh, uh of games on their store they're going to have um it, it soon and it's actually quite exciting if it means that we're going to have the snappy intro back because i want that kind of the intro that just actually really grabs your attention as opposed to one that's that, like teases stuff and then the game only gets good after like 20 30 hours yeah and then the title screen comes up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you le- and you realize you've been on an island the whole time and you're like, oh, my to- I, I do love a title <laughs> screen that comes in like a dozen a dozen hours into a video game. like dragon quest 11 yeah. is one of them as well it's like you you think you're about to finish the game and then like basically the title screen comes up and like oh my god that's to me that's almost like a fake opening because it like it's like a scripted thing then you start properly i would like like you yeah. say i would like the then you start properly bit to just i would like developers to have it's like they assume people are invested in this game for the, the long run so that they can do this slow mm. build-up into the game. I'd like them just to go for it straight away. If you've got interesting stuff, interesting enemies, chuck them in at the beginning. You know, make it make it exciting from, from the off. Don't, you know, wait to show us yeah. that stuff. There's an element of that. I, I remember speaking to a publisher who was talking about this a while ago and saying that because of the way that sort of the internet and game distribution works now, especially with Steam where it's very democratized, you you can sort of have like a direct conversation with your players much more easily than you used to be able to. And because, you know, the internet is sort of increasingly siloed, hardcore Mm -hmm. fan bases who will have like a dedicated space for themselves, you know, a subreddit or a Discord or whatever, you kind of can market directly to those people who have all like pre-ordered your game and are sort of emotionally invested and financially invested in it being good. And so I wonder if that ties in a little bit to kind of going, well, you know, everyone who buys this or a good chunk of people who buy this or the people we care about who are buying this are sort of so invested in it that, yeah, we can do this big prog rock opening of like layering six guitars on top of each other before you actually get to the solo. <laughs> but 
Um, it would be nice to get going a little bit quicker. I was wondering who who was at fault for that uh, slow title screen delayed thing, and I think it might be the Return of the King, the third Lord of the Rings movie, because <laughs> I, I can't think of an earlier instance of that where you're sitting there watching something or playing something before it comes in, and I think it's that. It's after maybe it's because you just mentioned Smeagol earlier, but <laughs> it's after that whole like. 20 minute <laughs> sequence of him finding the ring and then the title comes up. It is this flashy um, cinematic yeah. thing that games do, isn't it? Where they. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you get like a mini version of the game, which is like a tutorial, but also it's the whole, ah, oh, you've climbed over a ledge and you stand up to see a big, beautiful vista of the whole game in front of you. And that's the, the classic um, sort of front loading of beautiful things um, that a lot of these big prestige games like to do, but. Yeah, I wouldn't mind if they got going a little bit faster. So, talking of um, Loot River, we have a review coming up of, um, but Citizen Sleeper is is the other one. This is a game um, from Gareth Gareth Damian Martin, also known as Jump Over the Age, uh, the developer of In Other Waters, uh, which was a really beautiful game, uh, quite a small kind of unassuming but calm game that I really really loved. So I was very excited about this. Um, and I understand that you like it. It took a while to get going, but you like it. Yes. Yeah, it's a slow starter, which, <laughs> again, um, which is unusual for a game that is relatively short. I mean, it's sort of, I get the sense that it's sort of an endless game. I haven't completely gone through every single thread of every sort of character. It's basically, the game is like a selection of side quests, basically, for characters that you're doing. So what, what is um, it in a nutshell? It's a, it's a sci-fi game. Yeah, so it's a um, sci-fi sort of tabletop RPG-inspired um, survival life simulator. <laughs> oh, that's that. what I would call it. <laughs> one of those, not one um, of those again. Jesus. But, yeah, I know we get so many of these. <laughs> but what actually, what that actually sort of manifests itself as is basically a, a space station that is like a. It's called the Eye. It's sort of a big, almost semicircle. Um, or maybe it's a circle, I don't know, but you sort of scroll your way along it um, and there are different sort of points along it which you can gradually discover um, and people that you meet when you go to these little places and they uh, will give you tasks. So you're basically initially trying to survive, so you're trying to sort of keep these two resources uh, topped up, which is your condition, which is like a health bar and your energy. Um, and so you have to sort of earn a bit of money to spend on some food to top up your energy, which stops your condition decreasing too slowly, and then earn more money to top up your condition. Um, but then this sort of uh, social obligation element comes in, where you start meeting people who basically tug on your heartstrings, like you know a dad with a, a young girl who is struggling to get enough work, and so you have this tension between: Do I want to? do the thing which is going to help me in the short term, like I really need some more energy or some more money or something like that, or do I want to um, put all my time and energy into helping this guy with a kid who's in a really desperate situation? Um, and it, it's sort of purposefully overwhelming because it, it's built as this sort of critique of uh, like modern capitalism and society okay. and that sort of thing. It's, it's the, the old sort of meme about millennials having, you know, no time to go to the gym and, um, you know, have a social life and, work and everything else all at once basically um part of my issue with it is that it's very um it's very didactic is the word that i use in the review but it's, it's basically um 
almost instructive about this, right? So it has like a really clear argument and it really wants to make that argument to you. And the problem with games that want to make arguments to you is that um, when you argue with someone, they want to argue yeah. back. <laughs> and so you're, you're, the game is sort of then building this like thesis of, you know, this is why there's a problem with this thing and this is why this alternative is better. And so you immediately start looking at the game as an argument and going, well, this isn't tight with that and there's a whole new argument here and this is kind of suggesting the opposite. Um, and it takes you basically takes you out of the sort of immersion of of it and takes you out of the the element of sort of real art, which is um, bringing your own interpretation mm-hmm. to it and this sort of questioning search for meaning and all those, all those deep things. But long story short, I think it gets past that. I think you can get past that as a player. Um, and I think after a bit of a slow start, when more of the station is kind of revealed, which is also down to you as a player and what you prioritize, it just gets so much more interesting. The characters really flesh themselves out. Um, the story gets more interesting. There are more sort of gaps for you to fill in yourself. Uh, there's more room for you to sort of put yourself into the game in, in that sort of tabletop RPG way. Um, and it, it just becomes a very, very beautiful, minimalist, um, sort of lo-fi experience that has now actually really stuck with me after initially thinking, no, I'm not sure. Um, so I, I love it, actually. I really God, like it. I wish I had opinions like yours. <laughs> and I meet I was like, I was, I was, I was getting starry eyed and everything, going, "Oh my god, this, he's so smart." Wait, when, with me, it's like the I guns just write the review. With me, it's just like the guns feel good and the cars sound great. <laughs> Recommended. Mine's not even that. Um, <laughs> that sounds great, um, Martin. Also, you you briefly mentioned before that you've been trying out the new Halo Infinite uh, season. I have. Well, I, I I say when I say briefly, I mean literally for like about half an hour last night i played it and then um bizarrely it's it's, it's wonderful they've done it's they've, they've done a really good job uh, of refreshing it and obviously it's taken its time and um it will take some time to kind of uh, figure out exactly how effective it is because this only just landed um after six months season two um and it's just nice to have an excuse to go back to halo but i just i will say that i was playing it for half an hour and was like god it's really nice to go back to halo and then i just had this real big urge to play battlefield which is what i'm playing most at the moment i know it's crazy right what? <laughs> re- what? Well, it's hopefully something I'll be writing on the site in, in, uh, in, in, within the next yes. couple of weeks. But um, Battlefield obviously had its fairly big update recently, um, and uh, it's it's worked. Um, so sorry, I, instead of talking about Halo, I'm talking about something else entirely. <laughs> but um, no, it's it's really it's 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 got quite sticky again, and it's got me back into it. And um, I just I just I really like Battlefield. And now now they've kind of uh, made it a. I wouldn't say a good battlefield. No, they made it a functioning battlefield game as opposed to what it was before. It's like, wow, yeah, there's some cool stuff in it. So hopefully more on that on the site in the future. Um, yeah, I'll be able to say a bit more once I've uh, been able to get my thoughts down on paper. Fantastic. The, the annoying thing about Battlefield is that fundamentally it is quite good. And fundamentally, it, it's, it feels like this is it's brilliant. It's a studio yeah. that, like, yeah, it like it. You know, it, maybe it's the publisher, maybe it's the studio, maybe it's the the mix of the two and everything else. But there, there are a lot of forces that seem to be trying quite hard Conspire to make against Battlefield. Well, that's it because, like, when, when you, <laughs> and, and yet you somehow, look at you look at the basic concept. It, it's quite it's like good. You've got vehicles and like sixty-four players, one hundred and twenty-eight players on each side. In maps are destructible, and just just conquest itself is just such a beautiful. Um, I just, I, I'm quite boring and vanilla in my Battlefield play, and I'm just conquest mostly all the time. But um, how could you get it wrong? And then EA and Dice are like, yeah. quite a big issue. like this is how Hold we can get it. Yeah. Challenge, yeah, challenge <laughs> accepted. <Yeah. laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah. Thank you both um, very much. That's this this week in brief on Eurogamer. Join us uh, next Friday for another Eurogamer Weekly. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to Martin. 
Thank you to Chris. Thank you, Roke. Thank you. It's bye for us. Bye-bye. Bye.